Well, as Pastor Brian alluded to earlier today, I am about to turn 30. <laughs> it's not too far away. Back in January of this year, 2019, I turned 29. And with turning that age, I had to go and get a new driver's license. I had to get my driver's license updated and renewed. And that was quite the experience for me this past year. Now, what am I getting ready to say is that uh, it might sound bizarre, it might sound a little conceited, it might sound a little full of myself, and I want you to know that I'm okay with that. <laughs> but uh, I, had, I went and I got my license updated, and somehow I think I took the best driver's license picture known to man. So if you don't mind, you might show these people my incredible driver's license photo. I'm... I'm proud of that thing. I am extremely, I'm extremely proud of that. I'll even go as far as to say if they need a driver's license picture model, you can sign me up. I will be that guy. All right, you, you can go ahead and take the picture down. You can go ahead and take the picture down. But the even funnier thing about that situation is that when I was there that day getting my license updated, the lady that was working the camera and processing the information was, was working with multiple people at the same time. And she called up another gentleman first, and she handed him his paper ID because you don't get the card right away now. So she handed him his paper ID. He took a glance at it, and he left, and everything was okay. And then she called me up, and I got my paper ID, and I took a quick glance at it, and I started to leave, and then I realized that something was terribly wrong. The issue was is that my picture matched the ID, but my information was incorrect. So I saw my face, but it was attached to a different name. And I said, excuse me, miss, uh, that's not me. And I handed her the paper, and she looked at the paper, and she said, what do you mean? I said, well, the picture is me. That's clearly me. But the name and the information is wrong. That's not me. And it was just so interesting because the other guy, he must have been so confident that when he saw the picture that everything was okay and he didn't bother to take a glance at the actual information that would identify who he was. And so he got his license, looked at it, and then he just went and shaboogied on out of there. And so I'm standing there at a loss for words because now I'm nervous. Now I'm afraid, like, you know, somebody out there is running around with my name and my information, and something had to be done about this. I sit and wonder how that interaction could have potentially gone over with the police. The fact that there was some short white guy running around with a license that said he was six foot four and a black man. <laughs> I would have loved to see that work out. But it, it never made it that far. It never, it never made it that far. And luckily the lady was able to call the guy back and he came back to the BMV, and we were able to get the situation resolved. The crisis at the moment in time was averted, and all was well. But how many of you still know that there is an identity crisis going on in our world? 
there are many people struggling to try to figure out who they are. There are people that are struggling with their gender. They are confused not knowing whether they are man or woman. People struggling with their sexuality, not sure if they like man or woman. People struggling with their racial identity. My skin tone tells me this, but I identify more so with this culture. And then there are Christians who are struggling spiritually. And what I mean by that is that there are people who identify themselves as Christians but have no idea who they are in Christ. And all of this can be traced back to one foundational issue, and that issue is is that man has sought to find their identity in everything but the God who created them. We are frantically scattering the earth, desperately pleading with people and things, crying out with the mentality, tell me who I am, tell me who I am. Meanwhile, the God of the universe is leaning down, speaking from the, he- from the heavens to the earth and saying, if you're willing to stop and be still and listen, I can tell you who you are. Though I believe that all are struggling with this issue of identity, I believe that it is extremely detrimental for the person who proclaims that they are Christian but does not have a true understanding of who they are in Christ. And it is my hope that through this sermon series of breaking it down and seeing what the Word of God says about our identity in Christ, that we would walk away with new knowledge and new understanding of ourselves through the eyes and the lenses of Jesus. I pray that God would strip some things away and build some things back up and that ultimately we are drawn closer to becoming who we are called to be. See, when my driver's license picture or my driver's license got messed up, the picture was right, but the information was wrong. See, the surface level was right, but the core was wrong. On the surface, I knew, yes, that's me, that's my picture, but the core information was wrong. And I believe that we as Christians, we got the surface level right, I'm in Christ, but the core is off and it's wrong. And I want to say this question to you, I'm going to ask this question to you, and that is this. And and, and while you think about the answer to this question, because I don't want you to to answer it out loud, I just want you to think about it on the inside of you. But my question is, is how do you identify yourself to people. To identify means to establish and to indicate who or what something or someone is. So if given the opportunity, how would you explain yourself to someone else? And as you ponder that thought, I want to tell you a a real life story that I experienced in my life. It was a, a season in my life back in, in 2016. I was, I was going through some, some difficult things in my personal life. And um, I was struggling with where did I fit in? Where did I belong? What was I supposed to be doing? And one of my closest friends, uh, his name is Nathan Crawford. He was getting ready to move out of state. And I always was able to go to this man for wisdom. And so literally he's supposed to be moving the next day, but I asked him, I said, hey man, can I have some of your time? Can we sit down and talk? And he said, yes. And we're sitting there and we're talking and I'm just pouring out everything that was going on in my life and the different challenges that I was facing. And he stopped me and he said, Contrell, I have a question for you. 
And I said, okay, what is it? He said, tell me who you are. And I said, okay. I said, I'm Kentrell. I said, I'm a communicator. Um, I like to speak. I'm a spoken word artist. And he cut me off. He said, no, no. That is what you do. I said, tell me who you are. So I freeze and I'm like, okay, um, I'm a writer. Uh, I like to play basketball. I, I like to do this. I like to do that. And he says, I, I hear you and I understand what you're saying. But again, those are things that you can do. I'm asking you to tell me who you are. And I sat there speechless because I'm struggling to try to tell him who I am. The things that I was using to identify myself obviously was not the answer that he was looking for. And so as I sit there in silence, trying to frantically think of what the correct answer may be, he said, I can tell you who you are. And that intrigued me because I'm like, how are you going to tell me who I am when I am struggling to tell you who I am? I said, so I said, how would you tell me who I am? And he looked me in my eyes and he said, I know exactly who you are. He said, you're a son. And when he said that to me, it literally changed everything. It wrecked my world in one brief moment. I, I remember sitting there thinking like, wait a minute, what? And he said again, he was like, you're a son. And as I sat there and I thought what that meant, things just begin to instantly melt away. Frustration and pain, difficulty that I've been wrestling with in my life begin to change in that one moment because he looked me in my eyes and he said, I'm not interested in what you do. I'm just here to tell you that you are a son. I knew after he told me that, that there was nothing that could ever change the fact that I was a son. And that night after I left his presence and I went home and went to sleep, I remember falling asleep, feeling overwhelmed with love for the first time in a long time because I was a son. And there was nothing that I did to earn it, nothing I did to deserve it. It was unmerited. I was feeling the love of being a son. And the beautiful thing is that that love had always been there. But I had been basing God's love for me off of whether or not I had practiced my spiritual disciplines that day. Whether or not I had prayed that day or read my Bible that day or did something to interact with people for Jesus that day. That is how I knew God loved me at the time. It was because of the practice of my spiritual disciplines. And I walked away from that conversation knowing that God loves me for the simple fact that I am his son. It was unmerited love. Love that was not based off of works. Love that's not based off of sacrifices one has made or good deeds that one has done for another. It wasn't based off of I love you because you love me. It was a love that was free simply because of who I was, not because what I could do. And what's amazing is that it did not start with me. It started long before then. When God the Father announces Jesus to the world, it is truly such a beautiful scene. 
And I'm going to take us to that place in the scripture in just a quick moment. But there's a conversation that takes place between father and son as he is announcing his son to the world. And this is found in Matthew 3. The verses will be on the screen behind me if you desire to follow along. But this is Matthew chapter 3, verse 13 through 17. And this is what it says. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill our righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God descending down like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. See, Jesus goes under the water, and then he comes out of the water, and, and heavens opens, and this exchange is taking place. And God calls him my son that I love, and he talks about his pleased, how he's pleased with Jesus. But up, in point, up until this point of time, I want to ask you, can anyone tell me a miracle that Jesus had done? Had Jesus walked on water, turned water into wine, told anyone that they were forgiven or healed, raised the dead or, or healed the sick? He had done none of that yet. No miracles had taken place. Jesus had done no ministry to push forth the mission that God sent him here for. And before any of that even took place, God's declaration of Jesus was, this is my son whom I love with him, I am well pleased. God's love for Jesus was not based on anything that he had done. And God being pleased with Jesus had nothing to do with anything that he was going to do. It was all based off of one thing. This is my son. In Luke chapter 1, an angel was talking to Mary, letting Mary know that she was going to give birth to Jesus. And this is what the angel says in Luke chapter 1, verse 32. It says this, He will be great and be called Son of the Most High. Notice that the angel did not say that he will be great and he will be called Savior of the world and forgiver of sins, redeemer of mankind, the bridge between man and God. No. It was simply he will be called the Son of the Most High. Though Jesus was and would go on to be the forgiver of sins, the redeemer of mankind, and the bridge that, that bridged the gap between God and man, all those things were true. But all those things were things that Jesus could do. None of them described who he was. And God wanted to identify Jesus to the world by saying, this is Jesus, my son. That is how God the Father announces Jesus to the world. In Psalm 11, verse 3, it says this. If the foundations are destroyed, then what can the righteous do? Christians, people proclaiming that they belong to Christ. If what we do and what we have 
is our foundation of our identity, then I have to say that we are in big trouble. Humans tend to put their identity in one of these five areas. They can put them in other areas, but I, 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 I did some thinking and some research, and they tend to find their identities in one of these five areas. Their jobs. If you have a good job, and you like what you do, and you become good at it, you become highly committed to that job, um, it then becomes who you are and what you do. Money. When we have amassed a certain amount of wealth, we gain a, gain a sense of security and self-worth based off the money that we have in the bank or based off the possessions that we seem to obtain and we put our identity in those things. We tend to put our identity in our looks. Some people's identity is based off what they can see in the mirror. If I look good and smell good, I must be good. It's the truth. Relationships. My husband, my wife, my kids, my friends, my family, even my animals, if I'm in a good place with these people, then all is well in the world. And we put our identity in our gifts. We all have gifts and talents, things that we are extremely good at, things that we do well. And we tend to find our identity in these certain areas, such as music and sports and acting and our ability to create and do things. The issue with putting our identity in those things is that these things are variables. And having a variable at the foundation of who you are is not a good thing because one thing I've learned about a variable is that it is subject to change. Variables do not stay the same. So that job that you love so much and work so hard at to the point that it becomes who you are you can lose that job tomorrow or be laid off without any warning. I don't mean to sound insensitive to this statement, but I remember being in school and being taught that when the Great Depression hit and the stock markets crashed, that the suicide rate spiked during that time. And I wonder, was that because people had their identity and their financial wealth instead of something else? And they committed suicide because they felt like they lost everything that they had. I personally believe that I will be handsome forever, <laughs> but I do understand that just like my hairline, these looks will fade. <laughs> so we can't put our identity in our looks, and all of us can attest to this fact. People change. And basing our identity based off our friends and our families and our kids, even our husband and our spouses those, and, our, and our wives, those are, those are unstable places to find our identity in. And your gifts and talents will not always be something that is highly sought after by someone else. And at any given opportunity, you can lose your ability to exercise your gift. I'm going to brag on somebody really quick that, that, that means a lot to me. Um, last year, my younger brother, Brayden, broke his ankle while playing in a basketball game. And I remember being devastated for him because I knew how hard he worked to be ready for that basketball season. I knew the effort that he put in to get to that point to be ready to play. And then he breaks his ankle in a scrimmage. It wasn't even a game. <laughs> and I remember wondering how he was going to respond and it was so amazing because who he was 
never changed. He loved playing basketball. He loves playing basketball. But he was still the same energetic, hyper, trying to jump on my back kid that he always is. And I was blessed by the fact that his identity wasn't found in his ability to play a sport. He was confident in who he was, whether he could play basketball or not. One of my closest friends lives in Naples, Florida. And if you don't know where that's at, that's on the Gulf side, southwest, all the way at the bottom. And we were talking earlier this week on the phone, and we were discussing the potential of Hurricane Dorian that is set to destroy that area in town. And we were talking about how he was seeing so many people board up their homes, hoping that nothing happens to their houses down there. But can I tell you that if their foundations are not in a solid place, all the boarding that they will do will not matter. See, there are storms in our lives that will challenge all that we are. And if who we are is built upon these things that are subject to change, then when those storms of life hit, there will not be much left standing when it's all said and done. The storms of life can take away your jobs and your money. They can take away your health, your family, and your kids. They can take away the most precious relationships that you have. And they can take away the ability to do what you can do. But one thing that the storm of life can never change is the fact that you are a child of God who he loves. With you, he is well pleased. That has to be the foundation of who you are. So if you have lost a job, that's okay because you are still a child of God. If you have sinned and made some mistakes, that's okay because God still loves you and he's well pleased. If your health is failing, if your money is gone, if no one's contacting you for business or jobs opportunities, God looks at you and says, you are my child whom I love. I'm well pleased. If your relationships have failed, your kids have gone astray, your spouse left you, your parents let you down, whatever the case may be, I want you to hear, it's okay. Because you are a child of God who he loves with you. He is well pleased. That has to be the foundation of your identity and nothing else. There's another passage of scripture that I want us to look into. And I want us to pay attention closely to what the devil was trying to do with Jesus. But before I get to that point, I just want to say an encouragement and a challenge of how important it is to read the word of God. Because when you begin to read the word of God, you begin to see how amazing God's word is. And when you begin to read the word of God, you begin to come alive on the inside. So if you're feeling spiritually dead, when you start to read the living word, you will come alive. But back to the message at hand. I like and love how God ended Matthew chapter 3. He ends it with this statement. This is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Mic drop. End of chapter. There was nothing left to be said. That was all that needed to be said. That is how that chapter ended. But how many of you know that the enemy will show up and try to challenge any and everything that God will say about you and to you? In Matthew 4, there's an interesting transaction that happens that I believe that we read and we go, oh, that's interesting, but I think that I want to take this a little deeper talk about what really happens right here. 
So again, the passage should be on the screen behind me, and I'm going to read. You can follow along. This is Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. It says this. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and made him and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And he said, If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended to him. As we read through this passage, we learn that Satan was trying to tempt Jesus. But what was he trying to tempt Jesus to do? He says, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. He says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down and have the angels catch you. He says, if you bow down and worship me, I will give you all of these kingdoms. Can I tell you something? Satan was not tempting Jesus to eat. He was not tempting him to show off his command of the angels, and he was not tempting him to take hold of material possessions. If you pay attention to the lingo, he was tempting him to prove that he was the son of God. Each time before there was a challenge, he said, if you are the son of God. God, in the chapter before, announced to the world that this is Jesus, my son. And the enemy showed up later trying to challenge the word that God said about Jesus. Oh, you're the son? Well, if you are the son, do this. If you are the son, do that. The enemy was tempting Jesus not to show off his power, not to show off his abilities, not to take hold of things, but he was tempting Jesus to try to prove to him that he was the son of God. But Jesus did not have to. Jesus had no need to prove himself as the son of God. He was already convinced and he didn't have to convince anyone else because he was confident in what God said about him. He was confident in who God said he was. There was no doubt, and in that moment, he was standing upon it. And because he was humble at heart, he had no need or desire to show off. And with that being said, it is so important for us to be aware of how and when the enemy attacks. The enemy waited till Jesus was in a physical and mental condition of weakness. I want you to keep this in mind. This is Jesus, not, you know, fully God. This is Jesus, fully man. And this guy just went 40 days of fasting. That means he had no food, potentially no water. He was wandering through 
the wilderness. The Bible even says that he was hungry. I personally think they got the word wrong. He was probably hangry, okay? And the, the enemy comes to tempt him, and he's man. So if he's gone that long without food and water, he's feeling the weakness of his body, longing and yearning for sustenance to, to feed him and to, to have his strength renewed. I don't know if you've ever fasted for 40 days before, but I believe that you would be physically and mentally exhausted. You'd probably spend time daydreaming about cheeseburgers and chicken wings and all that stuff. That's probably what would happen. But if I'm honest, I daydream about cheeseburgers and chicken wings without fasting. <laughs> but, but pay attention. In that moment, the enemy was attacking the foundation the enemy was attacking the foundation of who God said Jesus was. He was trying to get him to show off, trying to get him to prove, trying to get him to convince that he was himself, that he was the son. But thank God that Jesus' identity was never rooted in what he could have or do. It was rooted in the simple fact of sonship. I am the son of God. The enemy is constantly trying to steal, kill, and destroy your foundation. And he does it when you're in moments of weakness. Maybe you've experienced some things I'm about to describe. You lose a job, you lose all your money, and the enemy shows up and he starts whispering to you, didn't, didn't the Lord say that he will provide for his children? But you just lost your job. He must not consider you to be a son. He must not consider you to be a daughter. You have a relationship that fails or kids go astray or a friend betrays you and you go through something tragic of that sort. And the enemy shows up and says, how, how could God allow this to happen to you? How could a God of love allow you to go through so much? Surely this can't be love. If this is love, then love must suck. Maybe you've sinned, you've messed up, you made big mistakes, you did something that you said you would never do, and the enemy is right there in your ear. How, how could God be pleased with you when you have sinned so much? Surely God must be disappointed in you. Look at all you've done to sin. And he's in your ear, in your moments of weakness, trying to kill, steal, and destroy the fact that you are a child of God whom he loves and is well pleased with. You must be aware of the attack of the enemy because when he comes, if your foundation is in things that are subject to change, you will believe the lie that he will try to feed to you to get you to go astray. If you are a Christian seeking to understand who you are in Christ, then it is so important to understand the first step of understanding who you are in Christ is understanding your foundation. And it has to be a foundation that cannot be shaken, something that is not subject to change. And the only thing that I can think about in this life that will not change is the fact that I am a child of God, whom he loves and is well pleased. Not even death can change that. The title of this sermon series that we're doing for the next several weeks is called, Who Am I? My Identity in Christ. 
And I want us to understand it's so important for us to grab hold of that identity and cling to that and that alone. In Matthew 26, Jesus was standing trial before the Sanhedrin. And the high priest was there. And he and so many other people were there making false accusations about Jesus. He did this, they said. He did that, they said. He said that he was going to do this. Accusation after accusation flooded in, and the whole time, Jesus remained silent. He never spoke up. He never said anything. Then the high priest stands up and says, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? And even still in that moment, Jesus remained silent. Finally, the high priest becomes angry and frustrated, and he says, I command you under oath, tell us, are you the Messiah, the Son of God? And to that, Jesus spoke and said, you have said it so. When they questioned Jesus about things that he could do or had done or going to do, he had nothing to say. But when they called into question his identity, are you the Son of God, he could not deny that he was the son of God. He was clinging to that alone. He was not worried about the things that he had done or what he said he was going to do. His identity was, I am, I am the son of God. And to that he spoke and confirmed what was said. It is time for us as Christians to no longer cling to things that are subject to change, to no longer cling to things that are variables, but cling to this one fact that we are children of God. We can no longer deny or be unaware of our identity in Christ. We have to understand that we are children of God. Galatians 3.26 states clearly who you are in Christ. It says this, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. So from this point forward, the way that you need to identify yourself to yourself and to the world is, hello, my name is Kentrell Skeens and I am a child of God. You can insert your name in that blank. Hello, my name is. And I am a child of God, whom he loves. With me, he is well pleased. End of chapter. Nothing else left to be said. If you are a Christian, proclaiming that you have given your life to Christ, that you are in Jesus, that is the only way that you can identify yourself. And you need to know that you are a son, that you are a daughter, that you are loved, and that you have pleased your father, and that God will not deny that. I want to take a moment and um, maybe speak to some people in this room that have not come to that place where you identify yourself in Christ. Maybe you have never given your life to Jesus. Maybe you've never reached a point where you said, I'm, I, don't, I don't live or serve this man that you are speaking of on Jesus. I want you to know that There are many people that sit in this room that have had an encounter with the Son of God. 
and it has changed their hearts and their lives, and they have never been the same. They still have struggles. They still have difficulties and problems that they are wrestling with in their life, but they have a love and an acceptance and a relationship with God that lets them know that he is pleased with them, that they can experience nowhere else. And so I encourage you as you hear this message and we talk about identity, it's something that we're all wrestling with, to take a moment and ask yourself, what has my identity been in? For those of you that are in Christ, just like the word says, you are not what you do. You are not your job. You are not the money that you have in the bank. You are not your skill sets. You are not your looks. You are not the relationships that you have with your friends and your family or your children. The base, the foundation of your identity is, I am a child of God whom he loves with me. He is well pleased. Let's stand.